Okay, we start a little summer series on the women of the Bible, and uh, last week we did Rahab the harlot, and we struggled, and everybody struggled with trying to make her not a harlot. The Bible says she was Rahab the harlot, and uh, turned out to be pretty good because she became the great grandmother of King David, and uh, of course that put her in the line of Jesus Christ. And so we studied her. Uh, interesting life there in uh, Jericho when Jer- the walls of Jericho fell, everything except for her house. Now we come to another lady of the Bible, and this is one of those people in the Bible who walk in and you say hello, and then they walk out. And where did it come from? Where did they go? I don't know. There's no nothing about that. We don't know a lot of history. All we know is this lady walked in to the Bible, said hello, (laughs) and walked out. And we wonder, well, is that going to be a real exciting story if we don't really know a lot? Well, it's because of Jesus uh, that this story is exciting. He's the one that makes it exciting. The lady we're going to talk about tonight, we don't know her name, but she's the Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba. And uh, that's kind of a name. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, what do you think I am, the Queen of Sheba? You know, I mean, that's, that's a, kind of a phrase that's come into our language from this lady, although they probably don't know anything about her. Uh, and she plays a pretty striking role because of what Jesus said. And so before we read her life story, I want to see what Jesus said. So we're going back to Matthew 12 to start. Jesus talked about the Queen of Sheba. And then we'll go back and see what she did and what she said and what made her uh, such an important person in the Bible. So we're in Matthew 12. And we get... Jesus in a situation where they're trying to call him everything but the Son of God. They don't want to admit that he's the Messiah. They've already made up their mind before they even knew him. They made up their mind. They thought the Messiah would come from their ranks. That's described in the Pharisees. After all, we're the cream of the crop. Why would Messiah come from anybody else? So it's got to be one of us eventually who comes out to be that. And so when Jesus came along, of course, he didn't fit any of their uh, thoughts of what they thought Messiah should be. So verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12, certain of the scribes of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. So he's telling them by his actions and so forth who he is. And they say, well, how do we know you're the Messiah? I don't think you really are. So uh, if you've got a sign you could show us, do something special so that we'll know it's you. Verse 39, he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he said, you're not getting anything special. You've got three signs I'm going to give you. The first one is Jonah. 
You know what happened to Jonah? He got swallowed by the whale. Three days later, spit up on shore, alive. And so he says, when that happens to me, I'll be three days in the heart of the earth, buried. When I come out alive, then that'll be one sign. Of course, they don't know what he's talking about. They're scratching their head. What does that mean? Verse 41. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So he says, here's what's going to happen when the great day of judgment comes. When God has a day where he calls people up in front of him, we're all going there. We're going to be called in front of him, and you're going to give an account for your life. And he said, this generation that he was living in, he said, are going to have to answer because, he said, when Nineveh, remember Jonah went to Nineveh, and he said, in 40 days, this place is going to get destroyed. And they all repented. He was mad that they repented, <laughs> but they all repented. And he said, the men of Nineveh listened to the preaching of Jonah, which wasn't very, uh, what shall I say, enlightening. It was 40 days and you're all dead. See you later. I can't wait for it to happen. Goodbye. That was what Jonah said. <laughs> all right. And he went and sat out and said he waited for it to happen. And, uh, uh, but they repented. He said, so Jonah's preaching turned a whole city of people who weren't Jewish. That was the key. People who weren't Jewish believed in God because of Jonah's preaching. I'm here preaching, he says, and you don't listen to me. So when the day of judgment comes and they... And God said, well, why didn't you believe my son? And the people from Nineveh are going to say, hey, yeah, what's the matter with you? We believe Jonah, and he wasn't nearly as good a preacher as Jesus. So what's wrong with you? And they're going to condemn you. They're going to be the voices that chime in that say, what's wrong with you? Jesus explained that as another sign. Then we get verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, shall condemn it. For she came from the outermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So the queen of the south is the queen of Sheba. And he said, in the great day when the judgment comes, uh, and I say to you Pharisees, uh, what's wrong with you? The queen of Sheba is going to stand up on that day and say, yeah. Didn't you do what I did? What did she do? Let's find out what the Queen of Sheba did. And why it was uh, that Jesus said that about her. Back to 1 Kings now, chapter number uh, 10. 1 Kings, chapter number 10. We're going to meet here the Queen of Sheba. Don't miss anything. We're about to begin reading Pay attention. Pay attention. You'll get it if you pay attention. All right. First Kings chapter 10. Here we go. Here's the story of the Queen of Sheba, one of the great women of the Bible. When the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. 
And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, Is it true report that I heard in mine own land of thine acts and of thy wisdom? Howbeit I believed not the words until I came. Mine eyes had seen it, and behold, a half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are thee, thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices of very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as those which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And just a little bit more. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophar, brought in from Ophar great plenty of algum trees and precious stones. And the king made the algum trees pillars for the house of the Lord, king's house, and the harps also, and psalteries for singers. And there came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day. I'm not sure what kind of a tree that is. Uh, I'm assuming it's something uh, very strong and also bendable because it has to carry sound if they're going to make a harp out of it but they also make pillars out of it so uh, like the great favorite wood of the old timers was cottonwood because it would bend they could make slaves out of it and uh, now they use these trees and king solomon gave to the queen of sheba all her desire and beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty, she returned, went to her own country, she and her servants. And so, um, she's gone. Came for a visit, walked away, said, that's it, we never heard of her again. The Queen of Sheba, well, where is she from? She's from Sheba. Where is Sheba? Well, there's a lot of arguments about where Sheba is, but... I think we can show pretty well. Uh, we have the Red Sea here. Of course, this is the Mediterranean Sea. The Red Sea here. Of course, this being Egypt down here. And Jerusalem up here is where she comes to. The Dead Sea. And then way down here, there's a peninsula. Uh, Arabia. Arabia. And in the southern side of Arabia is a place called Yemen. Still there to this day. Uh, Yemen. And uh, that area is where they believe Queen of Sheba came from. A lot of people believe she came from Africa. And, uh, but the evidence would lean, I think, more towards Yemen. Because Yemen was a place where spices came from, where they grew 
special trees and they had special plants that grew there and they'd grind these things, all kinds of spices. And it says that she brought more spices with her to give to Solomon than anybody ever gave him. It was the highest uh, weight of spices. So she comes in a whole caravan. She's the queen. All right? <laughs> she comes with a whole caravan and, and she's coming because of Solomon. And it says in the first verse, uh, it says, Queen of Sheba heard of the famous Solomon, came to prove him with hard questions. All right, so we're going to start out with some hard questions. Hard questions. I'm going to ask him some hard things. I wish I knew what those were. I'd like to know what they were. But I can guess. I think I can guess what they were. Can you see it? Do you see what it is? It's there in the text. Right? But she's come with hard questions, and she's going to ask him for, see how smart he is. Let's find out if he's smart. And she says, finally, well, i got to tell you, I didn't, they said you were something, and you are. But uh, they didn't tell me the half of it. So, so <clears throat> being from down here, a lot of caravans moving back and forth across the Arabian Desert up into uh, Jerusalem and from Egypt up into Jerusalem. And these caravans, like the ones she was in, carry not just goods and things, but also information. So information traveled that way. Uh, you say it's kind of a slow way, but it gets there eventually. And Solomon's been king for a little bit, and he started to trade. And he trades with Egypt. He goes down to Egypt. He buys the best horses they got. Right? The best chariots they got. And brings them up. So he's got horses and chariots. Thousands of horses. He buys chariots. He's just spreading himself. His information all over. And he's sending people to buy. And so eventually these people go down to Sheba. Or to Yemen. To get things to trade that he wants. And uh, they tell him, you should see this guy. <laughs> He's unbelievable. He's so smart. He's so wise that uh, everybody around goes to him for information. So she decides she's going to go and, uh, and see for herself. So Jesus said she's going to rise up in judgment against the Pharisees and the scribes. And I think Queen of Sheba will rise up in judgment against every generation, not just that one. And she's going to rise up against every generation. She had a great desire to learn. Great desire to learn. She's going to go. How far is it? Well, this is a pretty long ways on a camel. <laughs> it's a pretty long ways anyway, but the long ways on a camel. And if you're the queen, you could just stay home. Now tell me something about her. Is she smart herself? If I said to you, you can ask me any question you want, 
Got one? <laughs> I've been saying that for 32 years there. You got a question, put it in a box or hand it to me, we'll answer it. How many people have questions? She's got a ton of them. She's full of questions. They're not easy questions. She's got hard questions. So I'm going to ask him something. It's a hard question. So uh, she's going to rise up because in her is a desire for knowledge. How much of a desire? You travel on a camel all the way from Arabia. Because I'm thirsty for that knowledge. I want that knowledge. And so uh, she goes there to prove him, and she sees what has happened to her. Well, let's take a look here at what she saw. Verse 4 again. Queen of Sheba sees all Solomon's wisdom. So we start out with his wisdom. Everywhere prevalent you can see wisdom of Solomon wherever you go. You see it in his buildings. Right? You, you come up through the, the valley there and the mountains are on the one side. A friend of mine was over in Israel for a while and he worked on a, a kibbutz there. It's a farm. Right? And he said to me, we had this system and it was up in the mountains that only rained in the mountains. And so they had these big water collectors up in the mountains where it rained, and then they ran these pipes and come down out of the mountains down to the plain, and they farmed on the plain on the good ground, but it was dry ground. And so whenever it started to rain, you run and close all the valves and catch all the water, and then you open the valves and it runs down into the valley. I said, who ever thought of that? He said, Solomon. Solomon is the one who figured it out. They're still using it today to water crops. All right, Solomon caught the water in the mountains. That's where the idea. So everywhere you go, the wisdom of Solomon, like we've looked at in Sunday school here when we started Proverbs, what did we say? Wisdom crieth out. It's all around us crying out, hey, you want to be wise? You want to listen? You want to hear wisdom? It's crying out. So wisdom is everywhere when she comes up. Everywhere around is the wisdom of Solomon, and she will talk to him with hard questions. We'll go more on that in a minute, but let's go what else. Uh, <clears throat> and she saw the house that he had built. Turn back a few pages to chapter 3. Chapter 3. 1 Kings, chapter 3. Let's catch up on the thing that made her impressed. First is his wisdom. Chapter 3 verse 9 what happened is Solomon uh, did a great sacrifice. Hundreds of animals for God and then uh, God came to him in a dream and talked to him in a dream. And so God says to him what do you want? Verse 9 1 Kings 3 9 Therefore give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great thy people? So when Solomon, he said, what do you want, Solomon, in the dream? What do you want? Do you want riches? Do you want? No, he said, what I want is wisdom. I'd like to be able to judge this people rightly, be a good king. 
Speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked for riches for thyself, nor asked the life of thine enemies, but had asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so there would be none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall arise like unto thee. So, this is the guy who's the smartest guy that ever lived. He said, you're going to be the smartest person that ever lived. You're going to grasp things in your mind that people don't grasp. And when we go into the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, we see him an expert at botany, expert at zoology. He's also an expert thousands of years before anybody else of how the human body works. And he describes the heart as a pump. All right? He describes that when nobody knew anything like that. And he described the, the body and its various functions. So he has an amazing brain to grasp all kinds of things. And uh, God made him especially that way. Now if you look at 1 Kings 4, Verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much, largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and the wisdom of Egypt. So he's brighter than all the guys in Egypt. Those are the guys building pyramids. He's smarter than them. That's what he says. He's wiser than all men. Ethan the Ephratite and Heman and all the rest of these guys that were smart. Uh, he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedars as in Lebanon to the hyssop springing out of the wall. He also spoke of beasts as a fowl, creeping thing as fishes. And it came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth. So they come from all over to hear what he's got to say. And he's figuring out systems, and, and he's way ahead of his time several thousand years ahead of his time, all right? And so she comes for his wisdom. He wants to hear his wisdom. Verse 2, the house he built is the next one, it says. Uh, number 2, verse, uh, chapter number 6, verse 15. Now this goes on and on and on. We could read several chapters of him building. And what he built, the primary building he built was the temple. No tools. He built it without tools. So how are you going to build it without tools? They cut everything off site. He said, I want the workplace silent. You're building the Lord's house. They cut everything off site and brought it in. Nobody touched it after it got there. You're talking about real <laughs> hard work craftsmen. And they built the entire building without tools. They just brought it together and put it up, made the entire thing. Now we do that with houses, right? We bring in the parts, but we're still beating them together, right? Not him. This is an extraordinary building project that he does. Chapter 6, verse 15. He built the walls of the house within with boards of cedar. Both the floor of the house and the walls of the ceiling covered them on the inside with wood, covered the, f the floor of the house with planks of fir. 
Now, you know what cedar is, okay? Cedar is a nice smelling wood, and he uses that on all the walls. You understand, nobody's got a planer. Nobody's got a saw, right? They use an ax, and probably an ads, an old ads, and they, and they make these planks. And he built 20 cubits on the side of the house, both the floor and walls, with boards of cedar. He even built them for within, for the oracle, even for the most holy place. The entire building is made of cedar. And the house that is the temple thereof was 40 cubits long, 60 feet. The cedar of the house was carved with knops and open flowers. That is, uh, they carved all the wood with flowers and with uh, gourds, actually, is what it says, plants. There's plants all everywhere. I saw that in Norway where these guys carved everything. Beautiful. All was cedar and there was no stone seen because they covered it all. The oracle he prepared in the house with him to set the ark of the Lord of the covenant, uh, covenant of the Lord. And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in height thereof. And he laid it with pure gold. And he covered the altar which was of cedar. So after he makes something with cedar, and he, let's coat it with gold. He's make everything covered with gold. Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold. He made a partition by the chains of gold before the oracle. He overlaid it with gold. The whole house he overlaid with gold till he had finished all the house. Also the whole altar that was by the oracle overlaid with gold. It's amazing. You walk in a building, all you see is gold. Stunning. It's just everything's got gold on it. And so here's this carved wood, cedar wood, and he has covered it with gold. And so these golden flowers and golden plants growing. It's just, it's just stunning what he did. And you, you can read three or four chapters here. It goes on and on and on. He makes these unbelievable things. He takes 12 Brass oxen, solid brass oxen, 12 of them. Makes a circle of them facing out and puts on top of it the brass labor. And so there's 12 hand-carved brass, full-size oxen, not little any small, as big as an ox, as big as a cow. Made of brass, 12 of them with, in a circle facing out. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So she looks at his building project. And says, oh. Wow. It's amazing. And it says that when Solomon was king, silver was no big deal. Who cares? Silver. So that's another thing that, that she was impressed with. And then the food that was served. And I got to admit, this is a, if you like food, this really impresses me. I don't know about you. This is, she's impressed. He says, you should see him eat. Here we go. Uh, chapter 4, verse 22. You ready? Solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour and threescore measures of meal, which is 990 bushels of grain every day. You understand if people making bread around the clock, 
990 bushels every day. That's what they ate. 10 fat oxen, 20 oxen out of the pastures. That's 30 cows they ate every day. Shoot, that's a lot of cows. That's a lot of cows. They ate every day. And 100 sheep. All right. They ate that every day. Besides hearts and roebucks, fallow deer, and fatted fowl. So you add a little bit of venison here and there, and you got a few turkeys every day. How much food is that? What? You can't even imagine. And they cooked it every day. And so she comes in, and you talk to him, and he's just like, oh, he knows everything. And then you look at the buildings. Oh, gee, never seen anything like it. And then you go, it's dinner time. I come to dinner? Yeah, I come to dinner. <laughs> how, how many tables would it take to cook up 30 oxen and 100 sheep? We had a little party at our house. We had a couple hundred people. Think, oh, this is amazing. So many. <laughs> if I cooked one cow, we fed all of us. 30 of them. 30 cows. So it's stunning what's going on. You imagine how many people just work on food. It's all they do work on. And so she says that she's impressed by all the workers too. She said, you got all these people and they're doing this thing. And she says, uh, the meat of his table in verse 5 in chapter 10 and uh, the sitting of his servants, attendance of his ministers, their apparel and his cupbearers. So you look at Someone who has organized this, and the point was that they were well organized. And so uh, you look at the wisdom, look at the house, the buildings, and you look at the food, and you look at the servants. Come on over for dinner. <laughs> I can't imagine eating there. Wow, I, I don't know. It's just, I can't fathom it. I've never heard of anything else in the world on that scale. In the whole world, I've never heard of that. Armies even. You know, armies moved and ate K-rations. <laughs> Nobody's cooking 30 oxen and 100 sheep for the armies. So it's absolutely stunning. But the last thing, I think the thing that nails it shut, his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord, his ascent, or his uh, attending services at the temple. Now, what he did, what he did was uh, he built the temple as the prime building. Then he built himself a palace. All right? And he did the same in his palace as he did in the temple. And so it's a magnificent place. And then he connected both of them with a walkway. As near as we can figure, it was entirely covered. Uh, they actually dug part of this up. Uh, Archaeologists dug some of this up. They found it. Uh, but from, uh, of course, if you were in Jerusalem, 
there's a Mount Zion, and the temple's on Mount Zion. And so down somewhere, he builds his palace, and up on Mount Zion is the temple. And then he connects the two with a walkway made of arches, and it's entirely covered. And it must be covered with gold, near as we can figure, it's covered with gold. And so when I go to church, it is a big deal. I'm going to church. You want to come? Yeah, I'll go with you. Here, we're going this way. And we think part of it was underground from what they've discovered. Underground, you go through the ground and up through this golden arches. Not those golden arches, but this is the real golden arches. This ain't hamburgers. All right? You go through the real golden arches up into the temple. And she walked with him to church, and she said, I can't, I got nothing else to say. I thought that they were exaggerating. I found out that they underestimated, that they didn't say the half of what was true when I got here. Now, she's very impressed with the things, but my question is, what are those hard questions? I figure with hard questions. I'm going to ask you hard questions. You read it right in verse 1. Back to verse 1 of chapter 10. When the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. What she wanted to know. She wanted to know about God. Well, how would she know anything about God because in all these caravans that move around information flows and information would flow from Egypt over to Yemen natural trade routes over to Yemen and they're bringing back spices to Egypt and so forth going back and forth and what would she hear she would hear that the children of Israel came out of Egypt slavery came across the Red Sea on dry land, and that Egypt was left in ruins, and the armies of King Pharaoh were drowned in the Red Sea. Don't you believe that? Didn't get out everywhere. Everywhere they went. And so, as she's thinking, hmm, this Solomon, he's one of them Israelites that came, their forefathers came across the Red Sea, and God was helping them Back then, they came out of Egypt and left it in ruins. And I'd really like to know about that God. I'd really like to know. What's it worth to you? Would you leave your palace to go on a long, tedious, dangerous journey to learn? Oh, yeah. Let's go. Why is she like she is? Because her hunger for the knowledge of God just overcame anything. Like, how far is the journey? Too far for a queen to go send somebody else. No, I'm going. I want to know. I need to know about this God. So it says it's the name of the Lord. What's the question she wanted to know? Who is he? Where did he come from? 
How do you know about him? Where did you ever hear anything about him? How come you built this temple to this God? Those are the questions she wants answered. She wants to know about God. Now, she rises up in judgment against all generations, ours included, for people who just don't think it's that important. It's not worth finding out. I can read the newspaper. I can find out about the daily news. I can watch the news that tell me all about Washington and Albany and every other place in the world. Who cares? I want to know about God. I need to know about God. And so she comes with gifts. What's it worth to you to know about God? What's it worth to you? <clears throat> well, when they figure out, and they, some people understand these things, try to figure out. She brought gold to it. What appears to us is three and a half million dollars. Any pocket change, folks, all right? That's huge money. And the spices, and she brings precious gems. I don't know what they were. Precious gems and, and more spices. And the spices are probably more expensive. We know that the spice that they, they use uh, to anoint Jesus' feet, which he was saving for his uh, burial, right? Mary anointed his feet. Uh, we know that cost a whole year's wage. What you would earn in a whole year cost for the spices in that jar. She brought loads of them. Loads of them. How much money? She said, I don't care. Give him, give him gold. Give him any precious gems. Give him anything. I need to know what he knows about God. And so what impresses her, the last thing, that finally she said, oh, all right. I give up. You are everything. When he walked to church, he walked to church, and she was, look at this. Why? Because in his mind, it was worth every penny. It was worth every effort to build an underground tunnel with arches over the top covered with gold because I'm going to church. I'm going to see God. I'm going to see him and talk to him there. The Bible says God appeared to him twice. God came and talked to Solomon personally, face to face. Ah, it's worth anything you got, he says. And that's what she said. And the problem is that we live in an age where people wouldn't go across the street to learn about God. It doesn't impress them. You kidding? So you want to know what? What do you want to know? Well, let's find out about science. Let's investigate science. No, let's investigate God. That's what was wrong with the Pharisees. And Jesus said, this queen of Sheba who came with this hunger for God and a desire, so she's got all these hard questions about God, she comes with all these hard questions. She wanted it so bad she would uh, do the dangerous journey, spend any amount of money, 
travel herself, leave her comfortable, no doubt, palace. If you got three million to give away, three and a half million, you're okay. You're living good. All right. And she'd leave all that behind and go all the way up to Jerusalem just to find out wisdom. And Jesus said, man, look at what she did. And you Pharisees, he said, come and ask me for a sign. Are you kidding? How many people did he open the eye? How many times did he open eyes of the blind? Every one of them is a sign. How many times did he heal leprosy? He told the lepers, go back to the temple and tell them, Report in like you're supposed to when you're cured of leprosy. And they all went back to the temple, and what did they say? I got no leprosy. Check me out. And they check him out. Well, how'd that happen, Jesus? Oh. And they hear. News comes back from him. He was up by the Sea of Galilee. He had a crowd of 5,000 people. And he fed them all from one boy's lunch. How many signs do you need? Well, we need a sign. And what's amazing is that they wouldn't investigate themselves. There was one question. Anybody who's supposed to be an expert at Messiah, and they claim to be, should have asked this question first. It was so simple. Nobody asked it. As far as we know, nobody ever asked that one most obvious question. We can go to the prophets in the Old Testament, in the minor prophets, and we say, uh, There shall arise out of Bethlehem Ephratah, a ruler over my people. They're talking about Messiah. All they had to do was ask him one question. Where were you born? And he would have said, Bethlehem. They thought he was from Galilee. They thought he was born in, in Nazareth. Galilee. Nobody bothered to ask, where are you from? Nobody bothered to say, how do you know what you know? All they said was, you're not Messiah. You're not Messiah. Nobody investigated. Once in a while, one of them would come. Remember Nicodemus? Comes at night. He wants to investigate. He says, Master, how do these things that you say, how do you know them? And he tells them. He begins to open the eyes of some of them who will investigate, who will ask questions, who will find out. But the majority of them was sat on their hands and refused to ask any questions, refused to search out wisdom. And he said, the Queen of Sheba is going to lay you out in the judgment day that you didn't have enough gumption, first of all, enough intelligence to ask questions. Like we say, sometimes people don't know what to ask. What questions would you ask about God? She said, I got a lot of them. And they're hard. Hard questions about God. Wonderful lady comes and I ask you questions about God. And I've got hard questions. Now, then comes, I think, the best part of it. It's in chapter 10, verse 2. Came to Jerusalem, very great chain, camels of bear spices, much gold. Turns out to be three and a half million dollars, precious stones. When she was come to Solomon, she communed with him 
of all that was in her heart. Everything that she thought about, she said, I'm going to open my heart to you. Now, you and I ought to be asking hard questions. Or ask hard questions. Who you ask? You ask God. You go to God and ask hard questions. How's he going to answer me? Well, he's going to guide you. He's going to open your eyes. He's going to help you to understand. You ought to be filled with questions. Why is it like this? Why does that happen? Why is it that Jesus has that infinite mind? How can he forget my sins? The Bible says he forgets them, right? How does the infinite mind forget? Ask that question. There's so many questions that we can ask God and things that are in our minds that we should be thinking. These Pharisees didn't. They didn't bother. They didn't bother. They wouldn't go across the street. So are you hungry for wisdom? And do you have questions? There ought to be questions coming up constantly in our mind as we deal with God. And then we ought to go to God like she went to Solomon. She came to put him on the spot. He answered her questions. And finally she opened her whole heart. So I'm going to tell you everything I'm thinking. I want you to know all about me. And he sat down with her and she told him, he poured out her heart. That's what you and I have to do with God. There's nothing we should hold back from God. Tell him what's on your mind. You say, well, sometimes I think things I shouldn't. Better tell him. Better tell him. Tell him, hey, I, I, I know I shouldn't have done that, God. You better tell him. Better tell him. Say, I'm sorry I did that. What was I thinking, God? And we talk, talk to God. Ask him. Converse with him until you commune your whole heart to him. Whatever you feel is going up to God regularly. Those are the kind of people that are going to be like the Queen of Sheba. We've got hard questions to ask, wants answers all about God, all right? And uh, do we need answers? Yeah, I hope you do. I hope you do. Uh, they were driven. She was driven. It was a quest. I remember this old guy lived down the road from us when I was a kid, and uh, he always had all the answers, he said. <laughs> he didn't. He, he didn't. He said he did particularly about religion. And then he said, I know all about that. And he moved, sold his house, moved to Oakfield, and he put up a great big huge sign, like eight foot wide. And he wrote on it, Quest End. Cross it. Quest End, or my search has ended. I have come to everything I need to know in life. I'm arrived. I am at quest end. Believe me, he wasn't at quest end. He didn't know all the answers. There's a quest in our life. There's a hunger in a quest. A search. A quest is a search. And there's hunger in our searches uh, for information. And Jesus loved to give it out. 
He just poured it out of himself. Constant flow of information comes out of him on everything you can think of. And in particular, the most difficult group, here's a lady who could spend three and a half million dollars for information. Can you? <laughs> can I? All right. So where are we going to go? The promise of Messiah was that he would preach the gospel to the poor. So that regular, every ordinary day people like you and me, who are nothing special, can still find that information. And we go with a hunger uh, and a quest after that. And it's a source for knowledge. God is a source for knowledge. All right? The attributes of God, wisdom and blessing, come from God. Hard questions and communion, full revelation of our own hearts to God. Don't hold back because he knows. That's a funny thing I always think. Why is anybody, is there something you wouldn't tell God that you do? Then it's wrong. Simple. If you're afraid to tell God something you do, it's wrong. Right? I think so. I think that's pretty much it. If you say, well, I can't tell God that. That ought to solve it for you. It's part of the quest. Am I at the point where I can tell God everything? Like the Queen of Sheba opened her heart up to Solomon. And she intended to hold back. And Solomon himself said, <laughs> in the Proverbs, he said, a fool blabs his whole mouth off. A wise person holds back. And that's true to a point, all right? But it's not true when it comes to God, the knowledge of God. You've you got to get in there and get all you can get. And then we share it, and we live it, and we tell it by our lives. And so this woman stands in the Bible as a hunger for the knowledge of God, which she gathered from information that came to her, and she already had information. She knew about Egypt and what happened, and she thought about that and said, yeah, that's got to be God. That's got to be God. Only God could part the Red Sea. Only God could drown the whole army of Egypt and the rest. got to be God. And then uh, she hears about Solomon. He's building his temple of solid gold. Wow. It's a temple? Yeah. It's a place for God. They believe in that God up there. And I got to find out. I got to know. And off she goes to know. Now, it's fascinating to me that something about her attitude lived on. You say, well, she walked off the pages of Scripture. We never saw her again. That's true. Never did see her again. But she's from Yemen down there. And something about her attitude lived through generations of Solomon and on and on and on and on until one day, these three, four, five, we don't know how many, 
wise men are looking up that's a new star that's a new star nobody else saw it nobody in the whole world saw it you notice and he, we've been watching that's a new star I think that's the star of the king in Jerusalem and the wise men came from Yemen same place as the queen of Sheba they came from the southern tip of Arabia, traveled, it was two years, before they discovered what it was and got there. Because Herod says, how long do you know this? They said, well, it was two years since we saw this star, identified it, knew what it was. And, of course, they used very likely the Bible. They happened to have a guy that they ran into sometime after Solomon, another thousand years or so, this guy named Daniel. <laughs> and he became, in Babylon, master of the Magi. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar put him over all the wise men in Babylon. And you know that Daniel said, there's coming a time when Messiah's coming, and he told about 39 weeks when Messiah comes, Messiah will be cut off for his people. And these people figured it out, and they decided, we got to go see that king. And they went on a quest to see the Jesus. And you and I should be on a quest. should be on a hungry quest. we got to find out what we can. And the Queen of Sheba said, Jesus, in the great day when God stands up and says, what would you do with your life? Well, I kind of knew all about God. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You needed to know more. You needed to have a hunger for it. You needed to think it was worth more than money, worth more than safety, worth more than anything you had to go find out. Let's find out about this God. And she says to him, down chapter 10, verse 9. Blessed be the Lord thy God, who is delighted in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Here's why. Because the Lord loved Israel forever. <laughs> there you go. She got it. She got it. She understood who God was. He loved Israel forever. How'd she know that? Because it started probably way back there in Egypt. And she probably found out more of the information because of her hunger all the way back to Abraham. Where did these Israelites come? Well, they were the children of Israel, and his father was Abraham, and they became the Egypt, the the Israelites. All right, and that well, he learned. She learns. This is God. We've got to find out who he is. I'm going up there because that guy must know. And she said, it, the Lord loved Israel forever. She got it. She got it. She had the information right. right? And this is a woman who was down here in Yemen in the tip of Arabia. And Jesus said, man, pay attention. Look at that hunger. Look at that drive. Someday that will condemn you if you sit on your lazy hands and don't learn what you can learn about God. Pretty exciting when Jesus gets a hold of it, isn't it? It's a fascinating story, but when Jesus gets a hold of it, 
He says, now nah, I'll teach you how to think. Think like she did. And he told the people there in front of him, some of them did, most of them did not. They crucified him a little while later. Okay. But it's a challenge to you and I that this woman from far away came and you and I have it easy, don't we? We can learn. We got the opportunities to learn and to educate and to learn and to read and to find out and to get to the bottom of what this is all about. And so here's a lady in the Bible. She never heard of the Queen of Sheba. Now you do. Now you know. We want to be like her. Let's be like the Queen of Sheba. <laughs> That's one way, yes. All right, we'll go on more next week. Thank you.